0: Welcome to the Austin Art Talk Podcast. My name is Scott David Gordon, your host. I am a photographer who has lived most of my life in Austin. I've had an office at Canopy, probably the largest artist studio complex in town, since it opened over five years ago. So I'm surrounded by artists and do make an effort to also get out to openings at galleries when I can, along with other art events. And after years of listening to podcasts, I decided to start one myself. And it just made sense to start with what I know and who I know. And all I can say is that it has been great. And I am so grateful to be able to do it. And I'm thankful to everyone who has been a guest. I'm really looking forward to the coming year and all of the people I will meet and interview and get to spend time with. But before we get to 2018, let's finish this year right with some great interviews. Like this next one with Yulia Lanina, one of the most diverse artists I know who has, from what I can tell, already gained a lot of life experience and wisdom as an artist, and whose work is evocative and multi-dimensional, Working with painting, animation, animatronics, on her own, or in collaboration with others, she creates performances in person and through the movement of the beings and creatures she brings to life on paper and in three dimensions. We speak about her life, starting in Russia... And work our way up to the present and look to the future. So here is Yulia. Well, hello, Yulia. Thanks for being on my podcast.
1: Thank you for inviting me. All right.
0: So, when people, when you meet new people and they ask you about yourself, what do you tell them? If they want to know who you are, what you do.
1: Well, usually when people meet me, they first ask me where I'm from because I have an accent. Right. So then I have to go into the explanation that I'm from Russia, lived in Moscow, and then I moved to New York, and now I live in Austin. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as what I do, I'm an artist. I'm a multimedia artist. I do animations, performances, animatronic sculptures. I do a lot of collaborations with various people, composers, um, technicians, uh, dancers. I'm also... Uh, a professor at ut austin and mm-hmm. i'm a mom of uh, twin girls Anya and katya who are six that's a lot yeah
0: and you're pretty prolific i mean i've looked at your website and all the things that you've done i mean you've done a lot of shows you've had a lot of exhibits all over the world it's pretty cool
1: Yeah, I try to get (laughs) to to, uh, keep myself out of trouble.
0: Yeah. Oh, is that (laughs) what it's about?
1: (laughs) No, I feel like it's really important. Part of, of, uh, um, I guess, creation of my work um, is communicating to the viewers. So for that reason, I feel like showing uh, my work is really important part of my process because Mm -hmm. I really want to engage with people Um, and... Some of the latest pieces are performances which are all about engaging people and um, also um, the sculptures that I make, um, they only activate when someone is standing in front of it and so if no one is in front of it, then it won't work. Hmm.
0: I feel like there's some artists that would prefer just to be (coughs) in their studio working alone or they're creating their work for themselves. Like, Why do you think... Why are you motivated to engage with people so much?
1: Well, I think it started for me when actually I moved to United States okay. um, when I was 16. And I didn't speak English that well. And so for me, art became a way of expressing my feelings and communicating. Prior to that, I was studying music and I was actually kind of entertaining the idea of becoming a musician mm. but since moving here um i basically switched to visual art and so i think in that sense my work is about communication with people but i do love working by myself in the studio that's how i create my work
0: so you said you moved here at
1: what age i moved here well to the united states when i was 16 okay i just turned 16
0: so tell me about before that, tell me about Russia. Tell me about, I mean, what's it like to be born in Russia, grow up in Russia? Like, did you have any art influences there? Or I guess music, but uh, were you, well, did you ever indulge in art or think about art or see art or your parents?
1: Yeah, I think that, um, well, first of all, art, all forms of art i um, valued in Russia a lot. And so, you know, growing up, we would go to theaters and museums. Um, my father was an engineer, but he he would do some things at home. He liked to work with his hands and making different sculptures. And, oh, wow. Okay. <clears throat> and um, my mother was a doctor. But, yeah, I mean, it's not that I was constantly surrounded by art but it was i don't know it was very much part of the culture and um you know watching russian animations which were quite amazing i mean the work hmm. of art in itself i think that had a big influence on me
0: what are those like i don't i don't know what russian animations are like
1: well they're all sorts of uh different animations and you should watch some. <laughs> okay um, they're, they're not
0: like saturday morning cartoons no (laughs)
1: not at all i mean there 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 was a time in russia when uh pretty much all of the talent went into animation because um uh films were censored and Hmm. it was much easier to you know sort of talk your mind through a crocodile um (laughs) it was not as offensive you can uh kind of make certain statements without being direct and so a lot of yeah and so a lot of uh Really talented people wanted to animation, and so it brought Russian animation to like the highest level. Um, oh wow!
0: I never heard of that.
1: Yeah, and, and these all, are just all like kinds cartoon
0: characters, really.
1: All kinds, you know, claymation, oh, okay. stop motion. I mean, all, everything you can think of. Oh, yeah. So it's it's a very rich uh, kind of history of um, animation. So I grew up watching that. Um, and I went to music school, so I studied music pretty much. I went to music school at the same time as I went to regular school, so I had half a day um, in regular school and half a day in music school. Mm-hmm. So I graduated with two diplomas. And, uh, you know, and the thing about Rush, everything was accessible, um, was available. You didn't have to pay a lot of money for amazing education, Um there was a lot of public services, you know, a lot of them, uh, free this was healthcare. This the 80s, right? 80s, yeah. yes. So it was not bad growing up there. Oh, wow. um, the downside for us was that we were Jewish, and so it was, uh, you know, historically um, anti-Semitic country. And so towards the end of the 80s, there was a lot of um, kind of up rising of uh, different nationalistic groups that wanted to get rid of Jews and, mm. you know, sorts of things like that's going on. And the um, United States opened their doors for Russian Jews, and we came as refugees. Mm. So, yeah, so I came as a refugee. Not right away. First I came as a tourist, and then I came back as a refugee.
0: So your parents... So you had the idea to come here, or were they? And did they have to encourage you, say, like, we want you to have a better life, or, or did they want to come, too, or the whole family?
1: Well, it was a little complicated. Um, my father really wanted to come here. <clears throat> my mother was ill with cancer, and so um, there was a better treatment for her mm-hmm. in the United States. I was ambivalent, honestly, about what to do with my life. Okay. So, maybe if it was up to me, I would have, um, I think maybe I would have moved to Berlin. Okay. But since everyone kind of decided that United States was the place, so we came here.
0: Yeah. And you moved to New York, right? Or-
1: first upstate New York, and then New York City.
0: And who moved with you?
1: Well, first, as I said, I came to as a tourist, and then I stayed with my relatives, um, and that situation turned sour kind of quickly, and um, and then I went back, and um, a year, you know, since my first visit, my family um, got a refugee status, and so we went for the interview together, and then were able to come together the second time around.
0: And you didn't know English when you moved here, what was that like? I knew
1: some. So, in Russia, I studied English, but... The English that I studied was um, pretty much to read newspapers, specifically Hmm. political columns, but nothing to do with, you know, day-to-day conversational language at all. So I didn't, I I couldn't talk to people. I remember, you know, and also the English that um, I was familiar with was English, English. And so when I heard American English, I had no idea what people were saying at all. Yeah. So it was really a really bizarre experience. Um, and also the feeling of, uh, you know, at 16, I thought of myself as, you know, a formed individual that had, you know, some thoughts, you know, somewhat complicated thoughts, and then all of a sudden going back to a three-year-old. That, wow. was, that was not fun. Um, yeah, not
0: being able to communicate what you were No, not being able thinking. to
1: communicate anything or not even knowing what people tell me. Mm-hmm. So that was, yeah, and also, you know, when I first came um, from Moscow, when, um, you know, we lived in the area where everything is walkable, and plus it was perestroika time, you know, the whole country was celebrating, or not celebrating, but it was, you know, very engaging time, and I came first to Westchester, which was a big culture shock. Mm-hmm. And what was it you mentioned was happening when you
0: left Perestroika. and tell me about that
1: so it was the time when all of a sudden um people realized that they were lied to most of the um most of the things that we read, most of the things that we studied about Russian history was not true. Truth is, everybody knew it, but finally, you know, was um, we could speak about it. Oh, okay. And we started learning about things from newspapers. We started really feeling that we could, we we are part of the change, part of the history. That as a young generation, um, you know, we could actually make a difference in mm. where the whole country is going, and it was super exciting.
0: But then you um, le- you left, so well,
1: you... then I left um so and things turned the other direction quickly in Russia as well, so you know there was uh basically a couple of months after I left, there was the school where um you know the the people you know took kind of like a group of people took over the government. There were tanks on the street all of a sudden. So, I mean, <coughs> the economy collapsed completely. People lost all their savings. It came from... it. So, it went from being this very exciting time to be there to very dangerous. And, um, yeah. So, in some way, I missed all that.
2: Mm. Yeah.
1: Um, but then I got to experience American suburbia. And that was... <laughs> Quite interesting in itself as well.
0: Yeah, how did you adjust to that? Didn't you start thinking more in terms of visual art then at that point?
1: I did, yeah, because I I really needed to kind of find something, some kind of a refuge, and so art became that. Um, And, you know, I started meeting people slowly, um, but yeah.
0: So none of your relatives spoke Russian? Or one anybody? of them
1: uh did speak Russian oh, okay. and he was the manipulative relative that oh, okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's not fun no it was uh it was not it was not it was a it was a difficult time especially being sixteen in a foreign place that was um so I felt like you know one of the ways I dealt with this was through making artwork
0: what did you make what did you i was start just started, making? Drawing. I hmm.
1: started drawing i started drawing i started making a lot of drawings and um and that just kind of stuck with me and i um i went to uh first to community college then i went and then from there i was gonna go um to either Vassar or SUNY purchase. I was actually invited to go to both on a full scholarship and mm. um I decided to pursue art and so I went to purchase mm mm-hmm. and and that portfolio was basically consist uh, consisting of my drawings and with pencil and some crayon drawings that I taught myself how to do stuff and so. Um, so before that, you
0: had n- not been drawing at all in your life. I mean, I you- did. I
1: was doodling okay. a lot, especially during boring classes that I yeah. had to sit through.
0: But once you started doing it more seriously, then you discovered that you were. Good at it?
1: Well, what happened was I discovered that it was... Well, I think for me, art is... It's a kind of a... It's almost like air. Like, I cannot live without making it. Mm. Um, And so, from music, it went um, the direction of art. And so, I just realized how much I need to keep making it and I still do. So mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of you know making art is not you know it is somewhat of a choice but it, but it's not really. I feel like if I don't make it my life will be much more miserable. Okay. So how was college then? So college was um you know it's mixed, but I um um I'm glad I went I went there. So what had happened, uh, my mother died as I was in college. And so I worked through that time. Mm. And what happened, pretty much teachers, it, it was not so much about, you know, what I was learning. But people kind of gave me space to process Whatever I needed to process,
0: because you were here and she was in Russia. Right?
1: No, she was already here. She was in um, in the states. So she after so the first year when I was sixteen, I stayed in the states by myself, and then I went back. And so at I guess seventeen and a half, we all came here. Okay, and she was already like her cancer was already progressing pretty extensively. So so she ended up continuing with the treatments. Yes, yeah, so I was I was there through all of it. Okay, right.
0: So, like you said, you were in college. This happened, and then you said you kind of everyone gave you space to process it.
1: Yes, everyone gave me space, and I was very angry for a number of reasons, and I just kind of made a lot of um, splatter painting and. You know,
0: so you processed it. I processed through your a art.
1: lot of things. Through, I still do. Yeah. In fact, you know, I have a bad day. I make a, a painting. And life is better.
0: Oh, okay. Art therapy.
1: Yeah, I mean, or I feel life. like art is more than therapy, but it's um, it's part of it. But you know, as I said, like it's it's kind of like breathing air. So it's uh, you know, he's breathing, <coughs> you know. Therapeutic, it's necessary. Yeah, you're right. So,
0: so you, you were processing this, and I'm assuming then that influenced all the work that came after that.
1: Yeah, I mean I, that was part of it, and um, and you know I feel like a lot of life experiences are part of part of my work, and and it's uh, you know some of it is about you know storytelling, and some of it is about just kind of commentary on what I see. Um, some of it is you know kind of getting lost in the fantasy um and uh or finding humor in some unusual places
0: mm mm-hmm. so college uh, you get through college. what is your work like in college or throughout I painted
1: college? people i really enjoyed painting people um I painted a lot of portraits um and people really liked sitting for me. I learned a lot about people by just watching what happens to them as they sit for portrait. Yeah. Uh, And I developed really interesting relationships with my sitters, with some of them never even speaking a word, Uh, but having this full-on relationship because we sit there together in silence for hours. Um, So, yeah, I remember actually there was one woman uh, that really enjoyed... Uh, sitting for my portraits, and I really enjoyed painting her. And I just knew her name, and that's kind of all I knew. And we spent a lot of time together. Yeah,
0: that's really interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah, whatever. I don't know why she needed to sit there, and I, I really I was fine with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: All right.
1: I also, you know, experimented with sculpture, but painting was was definitely my main uh, focus. I really loved. I still do. I love painting. Something very um, satisfactory about um, just pushing paint on paper. So then after college, I moved to New York, and I was told by one of my professors that to make it as an artist, you have to be a waitress or an artist assistant. I tried both, got fired from both jobs, decided that was not my path. And then one day, and you know, I I was continuing um, to paint and continue to have shows and even selling my work, but I didn't have any source of income. And so um, there was one moment that was really kind of upsetting where I had uh, an opportunity to show in London, but I was supposed to ship my work and I didn't have money to ship my work. And then I realized that I needed to find some way to make money because also being a young single woman in New York, um, you get a lot of creeps sort of, you know, tagging you along, especially if they know you don't have money. Yeah. So I went to a bookstore and I got a book that was called Aris Jobs or something like this. So Jobs mm-hmm. for Aris. Mm-hmm. I looked through, the, through that book and the only thing that I liked was graphic designer. So I thought, well, that's what I'll be. I'll be a graphic designer. So then I basically taught myself Photoshop and applied for a graphic design job and got one. Wow. And as I am on my first day of job, I realized that I have no idea how to turn Macintosh on. And that was, <laughs> <laughs> that was a weird moment. Yeah. <laughs> Because the only, I only worked on PC before and I really, I just thought that I was going to be hired as an assistant and they were going to teach me stuff, but I was hired as a full on designer. So I had to learn really quickly on the job mm-hmm. and I basically learned how to be a graphic designer and that's what I did for a number of years.
0: That's a that's a pretty, pretty amazing story.
1: Yeah, just it was, pick a job uh,
0: and then get it and then just—that's
1: that's, that's m- what happened. Take it till you make it. I completely faked it. <laughs> yeah, um, but then
0: you had a job, you had some income.
1: Yeah, and it was uh, it was in a good place too. So then I continued working as a graphic designer, and it was during the boom. And I guess I was good at it. I kept on being promoted, and I kept on, you know, kind of moving up the ladder. And then one day. Um, September 11 happened. Mm. And so that was the day when it was uh, was really unclear what was going to happen. And so being in New York, it felt like everybody was going to die. And I had this really strong feeling that I was really saddened by the fact that I knew deep inside myself that... I wanted to be an artist. Not that I wanted to be an artist, that I'm meant to be an artist. And instead, I'm spending my time at a graphic design job, having employees who would love to actually have my job and not particularly enjoying the job. And I decided that if we were to survive that, I was going to quit and give it another shot. And so, um, it took me a year to quit my fancy design job because it was really you know the salary was great, yeah. the benefits were awesome, and to quit and to like obscure nothing, you know, let me make some art it was it was a scary thing and um so but eventually that, I did it
0: so during the time when you were working at the graphic design in graphic design, yeah, you weren't creating a lot of art. I was but uh. I
1: truly believe that if you want to um to be an artist you have to do it not just on the weekends or sometimes in the evenings if
0: you have some energy yeah
1: yeah it has to be an ongoing practice mm. so yes eventually I quit that job I was living in Williamsburg at a time in Brooklyn and got a studio and started working full-time and start from there yeah and i don't you regret that decision <laughs> <laughs> but you know i'm really glad i had that job because now i all the all the graphic all the graphic programs all of the video programs that i know i learned them on that job and so it's easy for me to go to computers to you know as a tool
0: yeah to create the work that you do now a lot of it yes so when was this around when you quit that job what
1: it was a year after okay. September 11 right. about them. I tried to quit it more than. Um, well, anyway, it took me a year because I had all my coworkers trying to talk me out of it. Mm-hmm. So I was as I w- was walking to HR office, I would meet someone. They're like, "Don't do it." <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> like, nah. So yeah.
0: So you got into your studio and you're wanting to be a full-time artist and what what's your work look like then like what are you doing
1: so yeah so i started making uh it was different as i wasn't painting anymore i started making collages i started making um body casts and there was um yeah and and i had really profound experiences in my studio you know Mm. just really like almost spiritual you know where i really felt that um like, I was not the one making the work. That was just like, I was like a vessel, and the work was made through me. And it was, uh, it was quite amazing. And so, hmm. yeah, and so I basically continued on making my work. It changes, um, but I feel like sometimes the themes sort of stay the same, or even some imagery, but they just evolve Um in some way and you know i come back to the same kind of stories or forms
0: Mm -hmm. so back in your studio you were getting into like a flow state and you were just totally in Mm -hmm. your work into creating your work
1: yeah wow yeah but those things only happen when you are spending a lot of time in the studio you know making work sporadically it happens Maybe here and there, but it's much harder to achieve.
0: Yeah, that kind of makes me think of a couple of years ago. I did a ten-day meditation retreat, and exactly, you're doing eight or nine hours of meditating in a day, and in ten days, you can make a year's worth of progress. Uh, uh, right, and get you know so advanced and and have experiences that you never would have.
1: Just exactly, fifteen minutes a day or something like that. Yeah, but then if you stop. For some time. Then you have to retract back. Mm -hmm. And it'll be easier, but still.
0: So you quit your job, you're in your studio, you're making work, you're in the flow, and then... Well, and then I was
1: like in the right place in a way. I was in Williamsburg, a lot of things were happening. It was, at that time, a very exciting place to be, art-wise. And so I, you know, I, I was surrounded by just some, you know, amazing people, also very much dedicated to what they were doing, and... There were shows and you know art fairs and all sorts of fun stuff. Um,
0: so you're making art, but then are you also thinking about marketing? Are you going to you know solicit galleries promoting yourself? you're going to these art fairs? I mean is it was there a whole nother side of kind of like the art business?
1: Well, I've noticed what happened a lot was if I were to focus on a body of work, and I would finish that body of work, the gallery would appear out of somewhere Mm. and would suggest to show the work. So I almost never had to go out and specifically solicit my work. Mm -hmm. In fact, when I try to do it, a lot of times maybe it will be like another place that will come to me. Then after some time, you know, and um, I started kind of getting reviews and people knew what I was doing and it was easier than to meet people and go to things. And, you know, a lot of the art world is like who you know anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, so I feel like a lot of things sort of happened naturally.
0: But it kind of snowballed. And kind of. Yeah, got but I momentum. think the
1: focus was always on creating work in the studio, not so much about promoting it. Hmm.
0: And how long did that last? And then what... What changed, if anything, at some point?
1: Well, then at some point, I decided to go to graduate school. What happened, um, I realized that um, I wanted to teach. And so I thought, well, you know, in order to teach, you have to have MFA. I did some research about different MFA programs. I didn't want to leave New York. So the only program that I felt that I could afford was Hunter College. And it was a good program. And so... I also decided that I was going to apply, and if I got in, I would have, you know, then one ahead and um, gotten a degree, and if not, then I may not apply to another, another there, there will not be another round of it. So I got into the program pretty much right away, and not only that, I got a full scholarship, which almost never happened. They, I think they, they gave two scholarships like this a year to people from Hunter. So I was really lucky. In fact, when I got the letter, I thought it was a joke and I was going to throw it away. <laughs> and then I thought, "Well, it looks like a real kind of stamp." Yeah. And then I showed it to my roommate. He's like, "You're crazy." <laughs> wow, I that's... thought, "What a crude joke, you know, that somebody's telling me." Anyway, so I got in and um and then Um, You know, being at Hunter was great. Um, It was an amazing studio, great studio mates, interesting faculty. And then after that, uh, right after I graduated, um, I got a residency at New York Studio Gallery on Lower East Side, and I started teaching also um, in the CUNY University teaching animation. Mm. And I met my husband at the same time. Mm -hmm. And... um, Soon got pregnant with twins, and that sort of caused the uh, the huge change in my life of yeah. moving to us. Okay. Part of the decision was when I found out that I was going to have twins, and I looked at my favorite subway station, which was on Bedford Avenue, and I could not imagine twin stroller yeah. going through the turnpike. So I'm like... Not meant for twins. Yeah. And Evgeny, my husband, was already living in Austin at that time. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I met him at the (coughs) art residency. What's funny also, he's also Russian. um, Russian Jew. Our brothers knew each other. Oh, um, wow. Before we met. Yes. But that's Mm. just something we found out afterwards.
0: Uh, I want to back up just a little bit. Tell me what an MFA program is like or how long does that last and what what did that do for your work or what
1: did you get out of that? I got out uninterrupted studio time um, an exposure. And the nice thing about Hunter, even if it wasn't paid for, um, it's relatively inexpensive. It's actually cheaper at, at that time. It was cheaper to get an MFA at Hunter with amazing studio than just simply renting a studio in brooklyn Hmm. so that was a no-brainer and spending my time in the studio and talking about my work and talking about other people's work and constantly having conversations about arts that that was quite that was great yeah
0: and there are teachers or professors there that are providing some guidance or how yeah does but, that work? but
1: a lot of it was kind of self-guided too you okay. know it's uh, there are some there's some guidance there are some topics but mainly it's seminars you create different work and then you discuss it okay you learn to talk about it
0: then you decided to move to austin
1: yes then i decided i i honestly never thought i was going to move away from new york city that was somewhat of a painful decision ah uh. Um, I'm probably one of the few people in Austin that was completely not excited about that move. (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was horrible. I hated the trees and the deer and the car. Mm -hmm. Um, Still not a big fan. And the guns. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Um, I did find things in Austin that... um, made Austin very attractive to me, mm-hmm. eventually, not right away.
0: And it made sense to you that, that it would be a better place to raise your daughters, or you thought... Well, I think considering York the York.
1: circumstances, yeah. um, considering that parents, one of them is an artist and another is a composer, I think financially it would have been tough to be in New York with twins. Maybe if it, if it was one kid something to consider but two I think it's a very different story you know I, I never had children before and I think I it took uh, it was many 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 years before since I held one in my arms so I didn't even know what it was going to be like mm. Um and so when I moved I also had a commission that I was working on I was working on a music video for Mike Doty and so I moved and I was working until the time I had to go to hospital. Wow. And then afterwards, I realized that I forgot to read all these books about that you know, for parents, oh, yeah. for parents who who are new to this. I'm like, what do you do now? What to expect? <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Luckily, nature took over, but yeah. I was clueless.
0: But you made it work.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's all fine you now. You have to. Everybody survives. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so did what did uh, how did having kids affect your work? Or like, was there a shift? I mean, you're moving to Austin and then you're having kids. Seems like a could be a lot of shifts there. Or maybe did your work stay consistent through that time?
1: Well, I learned how to work in my head, which I never had to do before. Hmm. Um and when the kids were small, well, newborns, I was on this really weird schedule that every three hours I have, I had to wake up, feed them, change diapers. Evgeny was helping a lot, um, but it, it does require two parents, you mm-hmm. know, one per kid, essentially. And he couldn't help with breastfeeding, so that was my job. And so I didn't work for probably the first three months. I don't think I did anything the first three months. I didn't have time to go to the bathroom. So, But eventually, once I started having some time, I started working again. And, you know, still I had to attend to them quite a bit. And so I found a way that I could make something for one, you know, spend one hour working on something. But then go and spend time with them, but continue working on my work in the head.
0: Mm-hmm so thinking about planning what you would thinking do the next about hour it. you had
1: yeah and actually it made my work in some way better because then i was by the time i would return to it i i would first of all i would have this separation from it visually and then i would have this fresh eye to look at it and also kind of continuation of the thought that i was that was in my head and so so that was new i think that I still do that to some degree because one of the things that happens that, you know, the amount of time, free time that one has (coughs) is, you know, it's it's just considerably less. So time management became really important. I realized I didn't have as much time to dwell on my negative thoughts, which Mm. was sort of disappointing because I (laughs) enjoy it to a degree. Yeah. Um, but, on the other hand, um, my work became happier at least for a period of time. <laughs> yeah. I'm having more time now to think about things, so <laughs> going back into the dark time, yeah, um, but also, I incorporate them um as much as I can in my work. I use the voices um I would love to perform with them once they're older. And, you know, do collaborations in some way. Uh, But I think they're very, I mean, they're part of my life, so I cannot separate that. Yeah. So, yeah, that changed a lot. And it also um, got me into public art, um, where I make work um, keeping children in mind. And sort of now that I have this live audience at home, I know what they would be interested in. So I can think of you know what other kids will be interested in. Yeah, and so that's um, a different, also way of looking at you know art, which sometimes you know is not all about pleasing the audience, especially the younger one.
0: So yeah, it must be quite different not having pretty much unrestricted time to just do work in a studio for days and days and days
1: yes and for that i go to residencies i go every summer to a residency where i am nothing but a full-time artist working for three or four weeks at a time when nobody really you know i don't have to think about anything other than making work yeah and so that's refreshing I feel like without residencies would be hard for me.
0: So tell me about maybe where your work is now or kind of I mean I know I've seen lots of a lot of different types of your work uh over the years but uh, maybe describe uh kind of the different categories of work that you're generally creating now and what they mean and what inspires you to do them.
1: So the uh, I'll just describe my <clears throat> my latest projects. So yeah. Uh one of the recent pieces um was um a performance piece which was actually um sponsored by the city of Austin uh which you know one of the amazing things about Austin is that it's really it really it invests in local artists. And so I've been making animations for some time and um, about two years ago for the first time I created a performance piece for Fusebox and that sort of got me into making that sort of work where um, it's me my art and the audience so this kind of immediate engagement with the audience and so um, that piece was um created with Russell Pinkston who wrote music for it and Andrea Ariel helped with uh, choreography. Mm -hmm. And it's a new thing for me to be doing it and to getting into performance art in my early 40s, not exactly early for performance art, but I don't know, I feel really driven by it. Yeah. And I feel that The animations, you know, they they have this different life once I am in it. And my work is so personal, so here I am myself with my work. Mm. I'll be doing another one soon. This time working with um, a Russian composer from St. Petersburg, uh, Vladimir Ranyev. (coughs) And we did um, a previous project um, together. And then another piece that I recently... um, been working on still working on uh, is the um is her story which uh, I was fortunate enough to have a residency at u t austin and um together with the help of some of the students um I created an avatar based on myself oh yeah and it's uh, animatronic, so it moves when someone is standing in front of it and it has supporting characters that move with it. And it's going to have a sound component as well. And this piece is still in development. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Just to back up to the sure. animations that you're doing the performance with, those are based on your paintings. Yes, so all so of my animations are
1: based on the paintings. Yeah. So I've been making robotics, um, kind of um, animatronic pieces for some time, and making films. And so when I um, went back to painting... I really felt that they had to move, and so animation came really like came naturally just i I wanted the characters to essentially dance and move and do something to the music so that's what my animations they're all based on the painting so it's it's a lot of work. I have to create a whole bunch of paintings, which you know gives me an excuse to make a lot of paintings, which I love doing, and then I get to um reconfigure them again um in the animation, and then create kind of like a different story with them.
0: So it's not that you were creating these paintings, and then you realized, oh, I could make these into an animation. It was like, oh, I want to make an animation. I no, need to no, create a I made the paintings.
1: paintings, and then I was like, okay. they look like they're almost moving. Well, tell
0: me about the characters in your paintings, though, because they're very unique. Like, what inspires that? Or maybe you could describe that for someone that hasn't seen your paintings. Like these you know somewhat bizarre kind of uh, characters that are kind of an amalgamation of all kinds of different things plants and animals and people and you know.
1: yeah yeah <clears throat> i think a lot of it comes from russian folklore where you know everything is alive essentially everything has a soul grass trees birds mhm I'm not sure if bugs were part of them, but, you know, <laughs> but I would say, you know, bugs, why not, right? Yeah, sure. Um, and so, in some way, I'm really fascinated with this uh, anthropomorphic characters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and thinking of myself as, you know, one kind of animal and then another kind of animal or other people, you know, we always think, oh, this person looks like that animal. Yeah. Or oh, that animal looks like this person. And so, I try to play with that. Um, And in some ways, so a lot of the work is collage-based. So I start with cutting out different images and kind of pasting them together. And then I will paint over them and I will change them, but the base will be there. And this particular process, um, I started working on it before, but I very much started relying on on it um, when kids were young. Because then I'll put collage down, it can go away I know it's there. I can think about it. I can come back, move things around, and then start painting on it, and have this continuous kind of working um, thought. Mm-hmm. And then with the um, animations, essentially, I cut those paintings up this time in Photoshop, put them together. They kind of create, you know, create these puppets, and then animate those. Mm-hmm. And so it's this constant kind of cutting cutting and putting together process, which I enjoy a lot. And at some point I was thinking about, you know, the, um, one other source for it. And I remember, and I honestly, I wish I can remember where, um, which character said this, but I remember it was an Oscar Wilde's, um, character that one of the heroines said that, um, she felt at some point that she was a vase that fell apart and was broken into pieces. And then for the rest of her life she's putting herself together in the best way that she can. Mm-hmm. And when I read that, I just thought, wow, it was beautiful. But then I th- but then when I think about my work or life in general, that's such a beautiful metaphor where at some point everybody experiences this kind of fantasy. Of childhood, where everything is a certain way, mm-hmm. and it gets shattered, and then you're kind of left with emptiness, and then for the rest of your life you try to put it all together in the best way that makes sense to you. Yeah. And so, in some way, that's what I'm doing through the characters wow. and through my paintings. That's beautiful. Thanks. I didn't say it. Those. Was- yeah.
0: <laughs> But it, you were insp- you are, are you often inspired by literature and other people's art?
1: I'm inspired by other people's art, by literature, but I'm inspired by everything that um, I I experience. And sometimes, I mean, for example, with this uh, particular story, I read it when I was I don't know fifteen, but then I started thinking about relation uh, of that saying to my work recently. So. You know, you never know when this inspiration is how they hit you and in which way.
2: Yeah.
0: These performances, you're projecting the animation and you're interacting with the characters.
1: Yes. So in the performance, um, I'm projecting and I'm interacting. I'm becoming some of the characters. Um, So in this last one, I am one of the characters where I'm meeting myself in the animation and so it's really, I, I really enjoy kind of going into my subconscious through my work mm. in places that I, I don't think I would ever be able to enter if I was just talking. Mm. And I really trust that process, that, that intuitive, I don't know, force that helps create stuff that it's much more wise than my consciousness. Mm-hmm.
0: And how do you... How do you feel like you tap into that? It just happens as you're I just working.
1: Just try not to question it, which is hard, and create space for it. Hmm.
0: So it seems like you end up collaborating with a lot of people. What do you like about collaborations?
1: Well, I feel like the uh, collaborations create the best work because um, everybody brings something to the table, everybody has an expertise in something or a passion. And together, we can make something really special happen. Uh, I started collaborating actually s- at purchase. Um, mm. I had a roommate who was a choreographer and a dancer, and we started working together and worked together for years um in New York and produced a couple of ba- a ballet and um, yeah, a couple of dance performances. Definitely, you know, collaborate with a lot of musicians and composers. Um, and that, that also partially has to do with the fact that I come from a musical background, and so maybe in some way I'm never satisfied with just art form or feeling that it's complete on its own. I feel like something else has to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to experience it in a different way. And so I'm always looking for new ways to kind of experience painting or sculpture or performance. And so, and, and, and I love working in teams and I have certain people that um, I've been working on for a very, very long time. And so that that's a very special relationship. So yeah, in, in some way I feel that, yeah, I feel that most of my work lately is um, collaborative in nature, you know creating films for sure was a it was a collaboration i never would have been able to finish one on my own that's why i do it and i look for new ideas this way too and sometimes like for example when i was creating a new performance piece so i create my side of narrative through visuals and then i have a choreographer that kind of helps me with her vocabulary and then i have a composer that creates their own vision. And so then it's a combination of all these three different things. And I think if I were to do it on my own, it would be, I don't know, it would be different, maybe not as good. Yeah. <laughs> well, definitely not as good. I would never be able to do all these things. And so, yeah, and I mean, and also I, I think that art... But I think of visual art too, like I don't think of it as just visual, just something that you look at. I think, you know, how many ways you can experience it. Hmm. Um, and I think that's been the case probably from early on when I started making it. Also, I collaborate a lot with poets because I feel that they, they have their own vision and then the imagery lives, you know, through their um, poems. And that's, a great, wonderful thing. And then I get to listen to um, their inspirations and then it can go full circles as well. And I get inspired by poetry and by uh, prose. So, yeah, So it's, I feel like in a way art is all very much connected.
0: Yeah, you had something recently where poetry was written and spoken.
1: Yeah, I had a show at Kamibo Art um, last year and... um there were poets, a number of people, a lot of them Austin-based. Like Lisa Austin and Cecily Parks, were uh, two of the poets that I collaborated with, and um, also Taika Waitake. And a number, there are many, many poets, and and so each of them chose uh, a music box that spoke to them, and they wrote a poem related to the piece. And then we had a poetry reading during the opening. And I thought, you know, it's just great, um, you know, to have that experience, you know, poets coming into the gallery, they experience um, different things, right? And so artists coming into the gallery, and then they'll hear poetry. And so we just become richer together. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like um, I want to continue collaborating, for sure.
0: Yeah, it must be really gratifying or interesting to hear someone else interpret your work or what it means to them or they might see something in it that you never even realized was there or that you had didn't see
1: yeah or just something that it is you know it is for them or you know they saw a different way to look at the story that i interpreted so yeah it's always good to hear different point of view
0: mm-hmm. so you have your paintings you have your that are made into these animations and you're performing with them and then you also have a lot of different types of work that you've created that i've seen that moves and is animated what's that about the animated work why the desire
1: for animation i think there was uh, a three-dimensional yeah i think it's all about you know this i'm looking at the sculptures as they're they're performing in some way so everything kind of is alive right and so i want to make everything move or speak, or do something. Yeah, I mean, creating animatronics and creating also... um, Another project that I did recently was uh, Music Boxes that I did um, in collaboration with Evgenia Charlotte, who is my husband, Mm -hmm. and who is an amazing composer. I'm really fortunate that um, we could work together. Yeah. And Ted Johnson helped with the um, engineering aspect of it. And so that particular work was based on a lot of fairy tales and again you know fairy tales but um the types that i would be reading to the kids and so i started thinking about fairy tales and kind of rethinking what they mean and realizing that a lot of messages that children are told through the fairy tales they're just really terrible messages you know it's all about blaming the victim being to adults um not really listening to themselves, you know, to their kind of instincts. A lot of abuse. Hmm. A lot. Um and then if you dig deeper, you know, just like horrible things and a lot of sexual violence. You're talking about like the fairy original tales. fairy tales. Yeah, not original the Disney-fied fairy tales. Fairy no, tale. disnified, yeah. But no, original ones. Yeah. And a lot of um you know, even violence within the families, you know, even say like the uh the stepmother, this evil stepmother, originally there were the mothers, it's just that we couldn't really deal with mothers being so abusive, so we turned into stepmother, mm-hmm. or stepfather, mm-hmm. um, or devil, which was father. You know, so it's like there were so many things. Anyway.
0: But that those kind of darker things do show up in your work, right? Right,
1: right but they're part of our cultural subconsciousness. I mean, mm-hmm. the dark stuff is so part of our nature. There's no way of, uh, I think, escaping it. The history is pretty shitty, um, and we don't have to go very far. So, yeah, in fact, don't have to go far at all. So, you know, the dark part is very much part of life, and I don't think one can exist without the other.
0: So when you're maybe creating work that has some darkness in it or these animated dolls, um, and you're sharing those with people, what are you hoping to – do you have a goal in mind, or is there something you want to elicit in the viewer – Or is it you're processing your own darkness? Well,
1: I don't think I'm processing, just processing the darkness. I feel like I'm processing everything, Um, and not all work is dark. And, And when it is, I try to make it funny, because I find that humor is the most transformative thing that we have. And I think that through humor, we can actually go deeper than if we just sit there and dwell on, you know, sadness or something mm-hmm. um because if you love them you know if you laugh at something then you can really get to some something you can let your guard down a little bit. yeah you mm-hmm. can let the guard down but you can also i don't know you can just access something else that you can't otherwise and essentially and maybe it's also my personality i find that when i'm super stressed out then i find that everything is hilarious so, and everything is just, it's just funny to me. Absurd. Life is absurd. Yeah, but life is absurd. I think life is so absurd. And I, one thing I enjoy about having kids, I enjoy many things about kids, but I'm surrounded by absurdity now in real time, all the time. And it makes total sense to everyone. And it's not dark at all. It's just like, that's how, you know, people operate, right? But then also, you know i don't know life is never linear it's never what you think it is my life has never been what i thought it was going to be and it's probably not what i think it's going to be so and i don't really want to know what it's going to be it's kind of boring that way
0: what do you hope it will be or what are you looking forward to what's next for you or what do you want to do in the future
1: you asked me a lot of different questions
0: okay (laughs) you're right um Is there anything you're looking forward to or that you're working on right now that's coming up?
1: Is there anything I'm looking forward to? I'm looking forward to making a new performance. I'm also going to be making um, um, another music video for Now Ensemble based on uh, the collaboration with Evgeny on the music boxes. So that will be very exciting. And, you know, see what this current project with um, my avatar is going to be eventually. I feel like what overall I really aspire to is actually just being present and alive. I feel like that's kind of all I want, really. I don't think there's anything else.
0: Is that something you really have to be mindful about? or?
1: I think to be present, yes, because there are so many ways to check out. But I do find that when I, you know, being completely present with everything, right, the quality of everything it just becomes so much it just it's a it's a different quality and so yeah so I think that one thing I really don't want to do is to sleep through my life and however that's and I feel like you know making work or you know being with the family of you know other things friends however you know that's kind of what I'd like it to be
0: yeah me too I like that. Yeah. Thanks for being on the podcast. I appreciate it.
1: Sure. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider sharing it with anyone that you think might get value from it. And also, consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Be sure to check out the links in the show notes at the bottom of the webpage for each episode, or also by tapping the square Austin Art Talk logo graphic on your phone within the podcast app to discover more info related to my guests, their work, and many of the things we mention and talk about in the episode. Please don't hesitate to share any feedback so that I can continue to improve what I'm creating and make it more useful to you. Thanks again for your time, and take care.
2: We'll <laughs>